wants to jump. 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. <laughs> Too many cars. Car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like, I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns, what's right? Like, me, me. Yeah, the man's coolant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. What do you got going on? Oh, lots of stuff. Uh, where do you want to start? Want to start with some project car stuff? Want to start with some what we've been up to stuff? Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start today? I don't know. What did you think of that NASCAR street race? Oh, my God. I forgot that even happened. That was amazing. Yeah, because was... this is like a weird week because it's Fourth of July was in the middle of the week. So Right. This was a week with two Mondays. Yeah, exactly. Frustrating. I don't, maybe you didn't have two Mondays, but I had to work on Monday and then had Tuesday off. I had to work on Wednesday. So that is basically two Mondays. The good news is, though, is the second Monday is followed by a Thursday. So mm-hmm. works out. But, man, it is frustrating when you're at work. That's for sure. So I didn't catch any of the support races, uh, and it, like, poured, right? So I don't even know what support uh, races they were. Was there anything but the Xfinity race and the Cup race? Uh, yeah, that's drugs? what I meant, the Xfinity okay. race. So this, of course, it feels like always in the Northeast, it's like, oh, Fourth of July? Better rain. Um, yeah. Like, it'll be sunny the week before and sunny the week after. Sure. Because we got basically all of that weather from, hey, talk about the weather. We got all that weather from Chicago, like, a few days after um, the race or the day after. But anyway, it was like, uh, did you see the video from, you know, because basically the way they set up the street course, it probably messed with uh, drainage. And it was like, oh, because the walls blocked the path of the water to get to the drains. I didn't think about that. It must. I know. I know that it was like it should have been a boat race. I know that for a fact. Well, apparently, like Chicago's been in a drought, and then they just got like a deluge, all of the rain. Yeah, I know they had to cancel a lot of the stuff they had planned, like the concert in the infield and some other stuff. They got got the axe just because it was too wet and just not reasonable to have people standing around there yeah but and then i think it worked out for me uh because we were doing stuff away i think they started the race late or they yeah i the, didn't catch the, the beginning race, race. i only, I only race started a few hours laps. late 
Okay. The cup restarted a few hours late. The, the whole race was amazing. The last 20 laps were even more so. So you got the best part. Yeah. It was a couple of neat points. Like it was the first time ever the cup race, cup series has ever raced on a street course. Like obviously they've done, you know, road courses and whatnot before, but they've never done an actual really? like, street course. Yeah. Yeah. They've never run on a public road street course. So, you know, Indy does it all the time. Obviously, F1 does it all the time. IMSA Racing does it all the time. But that was the first time NASCAR has ever done it. So that was historical thing number one, like cup cars on a street course. And it's always been funny to me that they never did try to share a weekend with IndyCar, like go to Long Beach or Detroit or any of those ones that they already do, because it would be less disruptive to use a track that's already being used, right? Yeah. So no, but they never have yeah, done that's it. That's weird. I never. Yep. I thought because uh, they even did an IndyCar race in downtown Phoenix in the nineties, right? They did a Formula so One confusing. race. They did an F one race. F one was in Phoenix, not Indy. Oh. Two years. Two years they did it. Yeah, that's why there's a giant. There's a giant Ayrton Senna mural downtown. I've not. Have I not taken you there before? No. All right. See, next time you're in town, we'll have to see the Ayrton, Ayrton Senna man. Uh, yeah, mural. That's what I'm confusing the. I thought NASCAR ran on that. Like, I don't know. For some reason, I thought they had run on a street course in like the 80s. Nope. Never happened before. So hmm. super, super cool. I mean, listen, NASCAR is doing all kinds of cool stuff this year, and that's just another feather in their cap for bringing in new fans. And it was the uh, most viewed NASCAR event in history on television. Yeah. So it blew away ratings for even, you know, Daytona at the height of NASCAR's popularity. So hmm. super cool. Super cool. Very effective marketing. Hmm. I hope they do more stuff like that. And I think it went off pretty well. I think, you know, obviously there were some members of the city who weren't thrilled about it, but you're never going to please everybody, right? Get the, no, the crowd. And- I don't understand this, so it must be bad. I mean, I was, I saw, or I, there was a podcast about, um, parking and parking meters and Chicago did some weird thing where they sold the rights to the parking meters to investment banking. Okay. For like some really, what they thought was like a really high sum, but like in the end the investment bankers have made way more money over it than what was actually what it was actually worth like it was a really dumb move by some mayor at some point like 20 years ago or 10 years ago or something chicago has a history of shady mayors so i'm not surprised yeah and it like makes it difficult for like people to park and it's like this whole thing uh and it's like this ridiculous contract, it's for like a hundred years or something. Like <laughs> Yeah, that I sounds think it was like on uh it was probably on like a ninety nine percent invisible. I'll have to I'll have to find it. Yeah, that's interesting. No, that, that seems like a bad idea. Taking a, a public space and investing it in a private entity seems like a Yeah, so then the, move. instead of the city getting all the revenue from the parking, it goes out of the city. Wonderful. Yeah. Short term success once again. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me think of like the failed Boston Grand Prix. 
Yeah, which which failed last minute due to people who are like, I don't understand this. Car racing is bad. It's dangerous. No. I don't want it here. <laughs> it well, some of, of it was it. some of it was that, but not as much as the embezzlement. Oh well, yeah, there was that too. Yeah, I think it would it would probably would have happened if the organizer hadn't embezzled all the money. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, because that was gonna be an IndyCar race, right? It was, and that was before they had really built up the seaport, and it was basically deserted anyways. Yep. It would have been cool, because I remember the support race for that at the time was the stadium super trucks, and I was honestly more excited for that than I was for the... But it was going to be like Labor Day weekend, I think, 2014. It wouldn't have been Labor Day weekend, because that's the Indy 500. No, Labor Day, Memorial Day. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't no, know how many times I'm this podcast you've done that. 40 some odd years old, and I can't keep those two holidays straight. Every single time. Memorial Day, May. Labor Day, September. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I know we lost like 400 bucks, so. Oh, yeah. We bought tickets, didn't we? Yes. Uh, Stephanie had bought them like four tickets like for yeah. our group. Yeah. Damn. I forgot about that. Yeah, we did too until we got the letter like not that long ago saying that the guy oh. was still under investigation or whatever and that they've recovered so much, but they had to pay the vendors first. But none of the people who bought tickets have been reimbursed. I totally forgot about that. God, that was so long ago. What year was that? Do you remember? I think it was around 2014. Okay. 2014, 2015, something like that. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. And now it's so built up down there, they probably couldn't even do it. Nope. No. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they could. I mean, they did it in downtown Phoenix. They do it in downtown. They do it in Miami. They do it in Detroit. So maybe they could do it, but it just would be a lot harder to convince the people that are there to do it now. Because I mean, I, I understand some of the detractors from a street race. It, it certainly takes away from your businesses, your local businesses, for a couple of weeks, probably. Between yeah, it's not like a single teardown. day. It's at least a, yeah. a week or two weeks of setup, right? Yeah, and then the teardown afterwards. It's not a simple in and out deal. So I think one of the big things that you have to factor in is obviously the local businesses need to be somewhat maybe reimbursed. But at the same time, if you're a local business, maybe you think that it would be a very busy time because you have all these people coming to town. I don't know. I did hear that tickets were expensive, which is unfortunate. Like almost three. Yeah, I don't I I think they were trying to like do the F1 thing which was a mistake. Just keep them cheap. I remember noticing that they were significantly more money than the Indy 500, which was weird to me. So, yeah, uh, because not to jump the gun too much here, but I'm going to go to the NASCAR race at NHMS yep. and uh, with a friend of ours. And we bought like high up grandstand tickets and they're sure. only $124 a piece. So, like it should be feels cheap. pretty cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's doable. It, I feel like that's cheaper than when they were not 10 years ago. Like when NASCAR was super, super popular, like they were like, yeah, like two or three thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. like very, very expensive. And the event sold out every time. 
Yeah, it did. And so we're less than two weeks out here and they had plenty of tickets left. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to that race a few times. Obviously, I haven't been in a few years, but it's always a good time up there. Yeah. They should have. They used to have the two races. I think we've talked about this before. They should have gotten rid of the July race and kept the fall race. Correct. Because the weather's usually better. Yep. So hot there in July. Yeah, it's super hot. There's less, but there's less chance of a thunderstorm. Sure. So I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. But anyway, going back to the Chicago race, the race was amazing. The competition was cool. Um, There was a ringer. (laughs) Kind of. uh, Kind of took everybody to school. But when you think about the reason that he did, so, um, Van, I didn't Ginsburg? really know who this guy was. I knew. Steve, so Van Ginsburg, right? It's his name. Shane Van Ginsburg. Shane yeah. Van Ginsburg. Yeah. So he's a Australian V8 supercars driver, New Zealand. Well, he's from New Zealand, but he's in the Australian V8 supercars. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean. He's, he's, he's an, he's a, a Kiwi, but he's in the Australian V8 supercars series. Yeah. And also he has background in pretty much every kind of race car. He's driven Le Mans. He's driven open wheel. He's driven rally cars. He's driven drift cars. There's not much he hasn't driven. And I guess he even races RC cars. Sure. Always going to be racing something. But he is an eight time champion, I think, of the Australian V8 supercars. Three time. And what's that? Three time. So in three, I thought it was like eight. That was something ridiculous. Okay. Either way, he's a multi-time champion of the series. And these new NASCAR cars are pretty similar to the V8 supercars in their design. You know, they're a tube frame chassis, solider axle, sequential gearbox, V8. Um, kind of a very similar setup, right? Actually, not 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 solder axle. They're uh, independent rear, I mean. Yep. Um, very similar to the Australian V8 supercars. And... He has years and years and years of experience road racing these cars because that's all they do over there. There's no ovals at all. And they do street courses and they do, you know, permanent road courses. And I think he had a little bit of an advantage because the other thing is it was raining and Australian V8 supercars have run in the rain since the beginning of the series. And NASCAR has only been doing it for what, two or three years. So he had an advantage because of the rain, because of the style of course. And because he has more experience in that type of car than any NASCAR driver even possibly could based on how long the cars existed for. So I'm not trying to take anything away from the man. He's obviously an amazing driver. Uh, I would just love to see what will happen in a few years. Once, you know, these NASCAR drivers have been driving these cars for as long as he has, will the, you know, competition kind of even out a little bit or will it become that he's even faster? (laughs) You know, and it's not the first time that there's been a ringer in a NASCAR road course race. I mean, just think back to earlier this year when, what's his name? The Formula One driver was in one. Or even at the same race in Chicago, Jensen Button. Jensen, um, yeah. Jensen Button, is his last name? Button? Yeah. He was there at that race too, and he didn't even make a mark. You know, and these are world-class Formula One drivers. Obviously, an open wheel car is very different than a, you know, V8 supercar or a NASCAR. So, but anyway, it was neat to see him like take everybody to school, basically, and just drive away from the field in the end. But yeah, so it was a Project 91 thing for Drakhouse. They yep. they bring in guest drivers for certain races. Sure. 
and he was the first driver to win his first entry into a NASCAR race since Fireball Roberts in 1965. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Super cool, though. Like, more history was made this weekend with that. Like, it was just, it was a really cool weekend to be a NASCAR fan. There was so much going on on track, and it was so much going on around the whole thing and all the fanfare around it and the anticipation of the event and the event actually going off because for a while we thought they're going to push it to Monday because it was raining so hard, but they worked so hard to get the track dry and they have rain tires and didn't need a hundred percent dry. They just needed the six inch deep standing water puddles cleaned out. So, and it was a great show of the new cars too and how strong they are because multiple times cars hit tire walls so hard that they buried themselves in the tire walls and they just got towed out with a tow truck and kept racing. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. It was wild. Like Kyle right? Busch did uh, it early on. Yeah. yeah who that he finished, he finished third, right? Fifth. I think it was fifth. fifth he, was yeah. top, he was top five somewhere after being the first car to have to get towed out of the barriers being dead last. So it was definitely a wild race. So the, the, the biggest controversy, unfortunately is them cutting the race short, but they didn't have lights. Kind of didn't have a choice, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, I and, and I was like, so I I didn't really know who SVG was, right? And, but I knew I was he was race for Trackhouse. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's my team. Yep. And then when I turned it on, this kid Josh Holly was leading. I was like, who is this kid? He won Daytona last year. <laughs> yeah, by like default default i mean yeah. hey whatever they got not taken away from yeah, him you were in the right spot and you made yep. a lucky call and hey it yeah. works out sometimes right and and listen not to take anything away from him either because he didn't give that race to sv svg either he he fought back he did the he was passed and he took the position back so it was certainly yeah that was kind of i was like oh he's gonna go for it and i don't know if that was like i don't know if you like let him a little bit Pass so I to... I think what happened was SVG passed Josh Hawley. Yeah. And then he didn't get full clear of him. And I think he backed off to let him get back in front so that they'd be able to go through the corner without contact. And I think he knew that if he let Josh Hawley get in front of him, he'd have the better line to take him off the corner again. So I think it was kind of a little bit of cat and mouse, but yeah. it made for it made for a great scene. <laughs> It was very cool to watch. <laughs> kind of had to give the kids some credit at first. You're like, oh, man, he's taking the position back. This is awesome. And then, obviously, you know, SVG did his thing and just drove away from the field. So it, it was it was good. I, uh, I again, like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I cannot wait for him to do it again next year. And they have a three-year contract, so hopefully they do. The city seemed to actually like it. You know, they brought a lot of business in, a lot of tourist dollars in, and I think that the naysayers were less than the positive reviews. So the bad thing that happened, you know, people were talking about like so dangerous doing these race cars around our historic buildings. It's like this concrete barriers. You're going to be fine. Um, unfortunately, one guy who was helping with electricity and stuff did suffer uh, and was killed during the setup, but it wasn't related to the racing, but still obviously a tragedy. So the only tragedy was off track kind of kind of related but not so all the people who are concerned about the safety of the race cars i think 
were proven wrong, you know, because there's people who don't know about NASCAR, don't know about racing. It's outside of their purview of life. So they just think that it's this super dangerous, risky thing. And it's really not when done properly. So I think it was great for the sport. Hopefully it was good enough for the city that they go back. So, and congratulations to SVG for being the first guy in 60 some odd years to win the first NASCAR race he entered in. So good stuff. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yep. Good stuff. I didn't realize that drivers didn't normally heel toe in a NASCAR. Yeah, I think it's because of the new sequential gearbox. Because I remember video of them doing it in the past. If you go back to a lot of those 80s Riverside videos with like Dale Earnhardt and, you know, all the drivers from that time, they seem to be heel and towing around Riverside. So I don't know. They definitely don't need more, though. They do that. Uh, they do left foot braking and they blip the throttle with their right foot. In between gear changes. So, and maybe it's part of the reason that the V8 supercar driver won the race because he was heel toeing like crazy. He was like a second, two seconds faster than everybody. So fast. It wasn't even a contest. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. He was in like 18th place with like 15 laps to go. Yeah. So he just picked off one car at a time, one car a lap, and there you were. I think the, uh, the comedic relief. Did you see the big crash, the big pileup? Yeah. That was pretty good, too. Good for uh, casual fans to see something ridiculous like that, where two cars kind of slid sideways and blocked the entire course. <laughs> and those who snuck through were like, yeah. <laughs> so that cut out uh, a couple of drivers who I was rooting for, but is what it is. But, yeah, good race. Looking forward to more. Yeah, no, that was cool. Um, so anyway, what did you do to Project Car stuff? A couple of things. Um, I don't know if I've talked about the trip in full here yet, but we are shipping my Corolla wagon to Washington State in a couple of months. And obviously, as you've brought up on the show before, and I've brought up on the show before, it uh, is in dire need of suspension upgrades because it doesn't have them. <laughs> it has cut springs and blown shocks, so it doesn't really do much except knock your teeth loose every time you hit a bump. So I pulled the trigger, and I spent a good chunk of change on all new suspension. So starting at the rear, I went to... Uh, Techno Toy Tuning, or T3 Motorsports. They specialize in old Japanese car suspension. It's the similar setup to what I have in the 79 Cressida, actually. Uh, starting at the rear, I picked up their parent hard bar to stop the you know, left-to-right movement of the axle. I'm changing the drop blocks that are back there from 3 inches to 2.5 to get a little more height. And I bought their uh, Coney short stroke rear shocks to replace the blown out rear shocks. And they're a short stroke to match the two and a half inch drop blocks so that you don't blow them out by having them constantly compressed. So they're, they go through their full range of motion with the two and a half inch drop block. So that's the rear setup of the car. So I think that that will improve the rear because A, there will be more travel. B, the shocks won't be blown out. And that pan hard bar made a huge difference in the Cressida. So I'm sure it'll be a huge difference here too. Even the Cressida is a coil spring car and the 
Curl is a leaf spring car, but I still think it'll make a huge difference. So then moving on to the front, I guess in the middle of the car, I was like, you know what? I'm spending all this money. I might as well also buy the T3 shifter. So I bought the T3 short throw shifter, which I rebuilt my shifter last year and it worked pretty well, but supposedly the shifter is amazing. And uh, so I added that. And then moving to the front of the car, I bought the, uh, what's the word? Coilovers, their coilover set. So I had to take apart the front of my car, take out my strut assemblies with the you know, lower knuckle and spindle attached and send that to them. What they'll do now is they'll cut the old housing down near the spindle. They'll weld on a new tube that takes a, another Coney adjustable insert. And then on top of that, they'll weld the spring perches for the adjustable uh, ride height in the front, uh, set a nice um, 350 kilogram springs. So nice and nice and light, so it'll be too stiff. And on top of that, a set of their anodized camber plates. So I'll have, you know, full range of adjustment in the front of the car for, for, you know, camber and make it set up right and make it drive right and, and go, go that way. So, and then I ordered figure while I'm at it, I'm also going to go through the steering. And it's a good thing that I decided that because my idler arm actually pretty much blew up one of the last times I drove the car. So new idler arm, new pitman arm new internet tie rods and new bushings on the sway bars and a couple other places. So it's going to be a brand new driving car. It's going to be so much different. Next time you come to visit, you're going to be like, all right, this is good now. I think I was uh, spoiled when I was in Massachusetts and driving your G20 around. Yeah. So it's uh, hopefully will be a huge improvement. I'll get a little bit more ride height out of it. I know the car looks cool as low as it is, but I want a little bit of travel for comfort. And plus, if we're going to be driving it, you know, all the way down the West Coast, I'm going to want to have comfort and also have some some give for loading it up with people and stuff. So I'm super excited. It should be a couple of weeks before I get the parts back. So then I get slapped all together and get it aligned. And then I got to fix the exhaust and a couple other minor things and uh, it'll be ready to go. So super stoked. Only issue I had taking it apart was the strut housings where they go into the bottom of the knuckle. They have these, I think they're 17 millimeter bolts. And one of them was stripped by a previous owner at some point. So I could not get it out. So chatting back and forth on our discord, uh, I was recommended to get the um, extractors from, I forget what brand they were. The Irwin. Irwin extractors, yes. Unfortunately, nobody local to me stocked the Irwin extractor with a 17 millimeter size. So I had to do the uh, the cheap route at Harbor Freight, but it worked immediately. So, And then you all gave me crap because I was using a cheap ratchet to do it, but there was a thought process behind it, and I guess you guys didn't agree with that thought process. So, Sure. Well, you're the one that led the charge, so just calling you out, that's all. <laughs> I used a cheap ratchet because I was going to need additional torque because it was a 3 8 drive thing, and I don't have a breaker bar in a 3 8 So I didn't want to use my good ratchet and put, you know, an extra long tube on it and risk breaking it. So I pulled out a 
cheap garbage ratchet and it worked. So, and I know what you're saying, like the good ones shouldn't break because they're good and they have a warranty anyway, but I just didn't want to deal with it. I use the $4 ratchet for that part of the job. So that was my thought process. Obviously yours is different, but whatever. Well, it's done. So I guess exactly. It worked. It's done. Agree to disagree. It worked. I didn't break the ratchet, so I certainly wouldn't have broken the nice three eighths ratchet. But I don't know that three eighths ratchet that I have is fairly new. I just wasn't ready to break it yet. So just use a cheap old one. But anyway, so yeah, the car's in the backyard now. It's uh, on jack stands in the front proper yard car. Um, Just waiting for the parts to come back and waiting for steering parts to come in and Hopefully it's a fairly simple job, knock on wood. I uh, don't see it being too bad because the car is not rusty at all. The only issue I think I might need a little hand with is the welding on the panhard bar. There's a triangulated bracket that goes between the frame rail and the floor that you have to weld in for it to attach to. So no big deal. Super excited. And I've been totally happy with the T3 suspension in the Cressida. I mean, you've ridden in the car. It doesn't ride bad. So I'm hoping it's a a very similar ride, a very similar ride quality to that car. So I'll be quite happy. So then we're doing a couple of small things to it and getting it ready to go. So that's the project car update. I just today had another update slash down date on the 944. Yeah. So you remember the front wheel was the steering wheel was shaking at like 65 miles an hour. Yes. So I finally took that to a a tire shop to get checked out Mm -hmm. and it needed a ton of weight on the right front wheel. So yeah. So got that taken care of. It has a little bit of a shake now, but nowhere near where it was then. So it's much more pleasurable to drive on the highway now. But anyway, I was driving it back today from a, uh, took it to the tire shop on the way home and got in the car in the driveway, turned the AC off, turned the car off, opened the door, and I heard a hissing sound. Oh. And I was like, well, that sounds like coolant and overheating. But the gauge was not hot. So I carefully opened the hood. And for some reason, one of the Schrader valves in the air conditioning has decided to leave the car. Oh, weird. Yes. So I just released all of my Freon into the driveway. But no worries. It's only going to be 112 tomorrow. I guess I don't need my AC. So. Huh. Yeah, I'm not even sure how that happened. I guess I just didn't tighten it, maybe. But that seems weird. I, I don't know. But just it was just hissing Freon out of the out of the uh, compressor. So I haven't had a chance to really look at it yet because I came in here to do this podcast. So that'll be tomorrow and this weekend's project. Again. Oh, yeah, because you guys converted it. Yeah, I converted it. To, well, I didn't convert it. The previous owner converted it to 134. Oh, so yeah, weird. I don't know. Yeah, very strange. I I'm annoyed because it was super cold the whole way home, and then I shut it off and. I mean, at least I made it home, I guess. But just strange. It's not something I've ever seen happen before. Hmm. But I'm, I'm actually relieved it wasn't coolant, though, because that would be a much bigger project. 
So I'll take it, I guess. Old car life, right? Yeah. Nothing is predictable. Just got to fix it and move on to the next thing. Uh, and then I guess the last thing is not really a thing yet, but I'll give the little preview. I, uh, for about a, two years now, maybe even three years, I've been considering buying a new motorcycle. Yeah. And uh, I'm in the process of pulling the trigger right now. So okay. maybe by next recording, one of the project car updates will be new motorcycle. So All right, nice. I miss riding. I haven't done it for a long time. Um, I want something out here that's kind of a dual sport on road off road because there's so many trails here just to go off the highway and ride. So we'll see. Maybe by next, maybe by next time. I had uh, gone to a dealership. Actually, I think you were with me went to the dealership, and I was. The guy was a super big jerk, and uh, he wanted like four thousand dollars over sticker basically for a motorcycle, and. Uh- yeah, I don't know if he was. A, he wasn't really like a jerk. He was just like no. He was kind of a jerk because when he was when we were leaving, he's like, "Well, you should just buy a more expensive bike because the markup's the same, so you won't notice it." And I was like, "No," and he basically said, "There's nothing you can do about the price." So it's like, it's like, well, they didn't want to sell. It didn't yeah. sound like they wanted to sell the Royal Enfields. Yeah, it was weird. But anyway, I went back to that same dealer only because I had gotten a quote from a different dealer. And I talked to a different salesman. This is, you know, it's been almost a year since we went last time. Um, and he was like, oh, no, well, we can we can work with something. So they came to a very fair price. So we'll see what happens. I just need to decide whether I want the silver one or not. Anyway, we'll talk about it next week, hopefully. Or not. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe I'll chicken out. But it's kind of the, it's kind of the off season to buy a motorcycle here. So they're probably will, more willing hot. to. Right. It's super hot. Yep. So it's kind of the time to make a deal on a bike here because they're a little bit cheaper than midsummer. So anyway, I'm excited about it. I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll work out, but we'll see what happens. So that's it for me. No other project car updates. You got anything? Hmm. Uh, no, I've done nothing to project cars. Perfect. It's yeah. been pretty rainy there, so I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, and I just haven't been home. Yeah. Hasn't been much good weather anyway, so I'm sure you'll do something soon to make up for it because it is summertime there, so it will happen. I feel like I did something. Oh, I did a very tiny thing. I got the little uh, winglet things for the back window of the Golf. Yeah. That took a whole five minutes to install. The vertical ones, right? The what? The vertical ones on the sides? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are these yeah, like those vertical be- ones, like with a B? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> I don't know what that word means either, but that's what I heard. Labor days in September. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're neat looking. They actually look OEM because like a lot of cars do have those OEM. So, Well, the, the GTI has them. Okay. Not the Golf Wagon. That's interesting. Yeah. No, they look They look good. Continual small improvements. So, Excellent. We did a question post for the first time in probably a year, Andrew. Yep. And we got some questions. Would you I like to answer some questions? Them. I get, so hey, this so first shot here for you. Would you like to go over some questions? Sure. All right. Let's pull up my phone here and go on our Instagram page where we ask the questions. 
go on the right page. All right, you ready? Go for it. All right, let's start with the real shop daddy. Um, who I think is a New Englander, Mike, Mike Summertano. Um, he is a New Englander. He asked a question, which is a very personal question for me. He says, does Brad need an automotive intervention? I'm not going to answer that. I don't know. Uh, I think this podcast is my automotive intervention. I mean, come hang out in the Discord. That's kind of where Brad gets interventions. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast and the Discord is definitely my intervention. Um, There's been some serious conversations lately about quelling down as I come off of a conversation about buying a motorcycle, but there's been conversations of quelling down the cars. At least a motorcycle is small and won't take up as much space. So I, I don't need the intervention because I'm, I'm into the self-help side of things right now. It looks like, I guess, but we'll see what happens. All right. Yeah. It seems like I, it. Yeah. Hey, listen, I sold a bunch of cars last year. It's fine. How many did you buy? An equal number. I said it before. Car count stasis. It's fine. Yeah. Listen, we all grew up. N plus one is the right number, right? Mm-hmm. So moving on, I guess the real answer there is yes, Brad does need automotive intervention, but moving on, build rad stuff. How much technology are you comfortable with for enthusiast cars? For some people, OBD2 is enough. Some people don't want anything CAN bus. Some people still uncomfortable even with EFI. Or maybe a similar question is, what kind of technology minimums do you want for an enthusiast car? Not for your daily driver, a car you want to work on, a car you want to maintain. What level of technology are you comfortable with? Uh, up to like 2005 technology. Okay. Which was pre-TPMS. Okay, that makes sense. Cable throttle. Well, First some computer. of them had electronic throttle, but like yeah, I guess did. my yeah my two thousand one Audi did. Um, yeah, I guess I'm in a similar boat. There's different levels that are like we can harken back about a year to episodes about the Eclipse, and that car is pre OBD two, so it doesn't have really good onboard diagnostics. It's OBD one, but it's a little more difficult to figure out. And it took a lot of parts to figure out what was wrong and why it wouldn't run. So it was frustrating. And I would say I'm not super comfortable because of the lack of easy diagnosis, but having a lot of parts. It's kind of the same situation I'm in right now with that 1980 Cressida. Like there's so many little electronic things that are tangentially related, but also not related. And it's hard to test each one of them in sequence without knowing what the other one is doing. So I think I am most uncomfortable with that early fuel injection, pre-OBD2 fuel injection, because it's harder to diagnose. And it takes a little bit more effort and time. And ultimately, it seems like you wind up throwing more parts at it than any other kind of vehicle. Like a carbureted car, usually you can get going. And a later car with OBD2, usually you can get going pretty quickly. But I think it's that like 
you know, the Crescent is fairly early, but if I had to put a year range on it, I'd say like 83 to 93, right? Because OED start two started coming out in 94, 95. So mandated 95, but yeah. Yeah. There's some early, maybe early 94s, but that had it yeah. definitely after 95. It's insane. So like 83 to 93 really is that like, I'm a little less comfortable with it. At the same time, I have owned and own multiple vehicles in that time period. So being uncomfortable with it doesn't mean I don't want the cars. It just means I have to know that they're going to be a little bit more difficult to figure out sometimes. Actually, I should say, I think by 96, it was mandated. So like, some 95 cars had it. I know like our 95 yeah, Mirage. 95 is a weird split year. Yeah, yeah the, the Mirage had OBD2. The G20 has OBD2. But the Q45 does not. Oh, interesting. You would think that yeah. one would. No, oh. it's. It, I guess there was a lot of changes they had to make to the 96 model. Okay. And like, like mine has variable cam timing that the 96 doesn't have because it's OBD1. Make it work with OBD2. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and the last part of the question is there a what kind of technology minimums do you want? I don't think there is one. Do you have a minimum? A minimum? Yeah. Um, I like fuel injection. But you're looking to buy a chrome bumper Volvo. You can get them with fuel injection. Yeah, but you would just stray away from a carbureted one? Um, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Fuel injection is better, but yeah. I will definitely not say that I'm not okay with carburetors because most of my cars have carburetors. Um, it's also a sticking point in the automotive intervention in the Discord group where everybody shits on Brad for his love of carbureted cars, but it's okay. Um, I don't really have any minimums. You know, I have cars without radios, cars without air conditioning, crank windows. I mean, there's not much technology in a 78 Colt. It's a carburetor and a points, originally points ignition and no radio, crank windows. It has disc brakes. Disc brakes are nice to have. But I wouldn't stay away front, from an early car with drum brakes. Front disc brakes are a minimum. I wouldn't say they're a minimum, depending on the car. If I had For like me, a fifty if I had like a fifty three Chevy or something, I'd probably be fine with having drum brakes in the front. If okay, I, I, here's my minimum. If I had a vehicle that was pre I think sixty seven so it had a single circuit master cylinder. I would probably upgrade that vehicle to a dual circuit master cylinder. Yeah. Only because that's a safety thing, <laughs> you know, and I've had cars that I've had brake lines or brake cylinders go out and having a dual circuit means you can still stop the car and not braid into another car or a tree. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. That's probably my minimum. Seatbelts. <laughs> Seatbelts are a funny one, too, because if you're driving a car from the 50s or the 40s, doesn't have it doesn't have a seatbelt. And if you put a seatbelt in it, now you're in a car that also doesn't have crash protection. So it's like, do you want to be crumpled up inside the car or would you rather just be thrown from the car when the door latch, which obviously also wouldn't hold, flies open? I think at minimum, I'd have a lap belt would help. Okay. Yeah, so you don't get... You can still fold down in the seat because you don't have a shoulder belt, so you can not get crushed by the tin can roof. 
I mean, yeah. 1950s cars were the pinnacle of technology, Andrew. They were so heavy. They don't, they don't make them like they used to anymore. No. Yeah, no, I, I guess lap belts probably is probably good. But yeah, my, my minimum is the single circuit master cylinder. That's uh, I would want at least a dual circuit master cylinder. It was either 66 or 67 was the mandate on that. I don't remember which. Somewhere in that range. I know our my 68 Camaro and our 68 Mustang both have dual circuit master cylinders and they both have disc front brakes. So they do have the bare minimum. That's a good question, though. I like that one. Yep. Yeah, I guess I guess the true answer is it depends on the car. I would drive a Model A. Why not? And there's no tech there. No, none at all. All right. The photographer's garage. You get the magic power to either snap your fingers and swap any engine into any car or any transmission into any car. If you got five engine swaps or 10 trans swaps, what are you picking? Well, let's uh, put it down to one or two because I don't want to sit here and go through 15 answers here. Um, what's your what are your ideal engine swap cars? Ideal engine swap cars? Yep. Uh, if it like if I could just snap my fingers, uh, I would put an Ellis into the Montero. Okay, that sounds like an actually doable one. That doesn't require it the is and it isn't i've seen people start it i i've never seen anybody with a finished one okay if you've got a finished one i'd love to see it yeah I don't but know as far I as i know it. nobody's finished one i know there's that guy in pennsylvania who has the first gen that was swapping it but you're right i don't right? think finished yet he was swapping it yep i've seen like five or six started i've never seen anyone finish it because his was going to also still be four-wheel drive, too. Yes. So huh, I'll have to look into that. I haven't uh, haven't seen him active on Facebook. I'll have to take a look. <laughs> Changed my mind. Okay. Interesting. I think that my kind of go-tos, I've always wanted to LS something. I know it's cliche, but at the same time, it's not cliche um, because it, it works. So I've always wanted to do a... Um, X7 chassis Cressida, which is like the mid 80s one, the really, really boxy one with mm-hmm. an LS in it and a six speed. I always thought that would be a cool car because I love the look of that car. And I think it'd be cool to have a V8 in it. And the other, my other choice by one that I would do immediately before even thinking about anything else at all is a, uh, a slightly warmed over, naturally aspirated 4G63 on individual throttle bodies in the blue Colt. That's, that's the, that's the dream build right there. That's the, if somebody came tomorrow and said, Brad, you have to sell everything, but we'll help you build a hot rod out of one. That would be mm-hmm. the answer. So it would be a four G six, three on ITBs, and then backed up by either a, you know, a nice five or six speed manual. That would be, that would be the swap. And I would do it immediately. If I had, the snap my fingers ability, which I guess the snap my fingers ability would be if I had a lot of money. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Here, here's a car. Here's an engine. Make these work for me and make it be enjoyable. Unfortunately, I don't have that. So I, I have always said that I would, 
attempt that swap if the one six in the car ever died. So who knows? Do you have one more you would do, Andrew? I suppose a. Hmm. What would I put? Like a K swap would be a good. Sure. But what, what would I do it in? A 240 Volvo. No. I don't even know if I do it in the 142. I do like a, a red block. That's true. Um, in the 240, just an NA red block um, with like a cam and stuff. But if I did a K swap, let's say. Oh, here, here we go. Sacrilegious K swap uh, Alfa Romeo GTA. Okay. I'm into it. Sacrilegious or not. I mean, listen, a lot of these engine swaps, if you're not starting with a pristine show car, who cares? If if you're taking Mm -hmm. a car that isn't isn't being driven, forget it. Who cares? Make make it drive again. I am uh, 100% down with that. 100% down with that. I I would K-swap a flat body Starion. Ooh. Yeah. Because you could do a turbo K-swap. Yep. 100%. And now now that I'm pretty cool, I'm going down this, this rabbit hole here and... Another swap that I've always wanted ever since I owned that Audi 4000 was I wanted to take the 20 valve turbo out of the Audi 5000 turbo and run that in the Audi 4000 Quattro. Mm-hmm. That was also always a dream because I love that five cylinder noise. And after riding in a couple of the you know Audi 100, Audi 5000s with the turbo, those things pull like a freight train with all that weight. So I can only imagine it in a smaller, lighter 4000 chassis. So yeah, so a, then that's the um, the front wheel drive five cylinder swap to the Volvo 240. That's also a yeah, very one. similar. Yeah, yeah. But not but make it rear wheel drive. Obviously, turn it sideways, or turn it not yeah. sideways. Turn it longitudinal. So yeah, yeah. I guess all of mine are based on cars I've owned, which I guess is the the thought process you've had. Like I had an X7 Jazzy Cressida. I've had. I have the Colt, I have a flat body stereo and I had an Audi 4000. So I guess they're just things I've always thought of in my brain, but now I'm, now I'm genuinely thinking about that K swap turbo stereo. <laughs> All right. Next question. Paul's finest hour. Where will NASCAR hold their next street race? Which I guess we don't know where they will. Cause they've only had their first and they haven't announced any more. So I guess the question really is, where would you like to see their next street race? Downtown Salem. I think they should go to Long Beach. Yeah. And piggyback it with the IndyCar race? Well, yeah, because I think they do two weekends. They have like drifting one weekend mm-hmm. and IMSA, and they've got IndyCar. So why not? You already, you already got a bunch of race series there. Yeah. I, I think that's very, excuse me, it's getting late. I think that that is truly a good answer. And I have a very similar answer. Uh, and I think it would fit in even better there would be during the Bell Alley Grand Prix. Because what's more Detroit than a bunch of V8 rear drive muscle cars? Right. So it just would make sense to have it there. I mean, maybe because Dodge is not involved anymore, they won't. But what a, what a cool spot that Or was. there was, we were watching it, was the Detroit Grand Prix. Isn't that Belle Isle? No, that was, oh, it's that's different. different. 
Okay, that I meant yeah. Detroit. I meant the actual Detroit Grand Prix. Yeah, the one that goes in front of Chevy headquarters. Yep. That would be an epic location for a NASCAR race. Yeah. You know, that whole big V8 muscle car history of Detroit would be perfect for a big V8 muscle car NASCARs. So I, I would be happy with it in either place. I'd rather see it in Detroit. And so. I know it makes sense. And then you could, because like, uh, you know, it's like IMSA is already owned by NASCAR. So it's not it like there's a It wouldn't be a big fight over there. that. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And then how cool would it be to have all the cars lined up for like photos on the part of Woodward that's in like downtown Detroit? Sure. Like from all the series, the NASCARs, the IndyCars, the IMSA cars, everything all at once. Yeah. It'll be wild. That's that's where I would like to see it next. If it winds up in Long Beach, also fine. I'd also love to see like NASCARs at like Laguna Seca, like just some random places they don't have been before. Well, I think because they already, already do Sonoma, they probably wouldn't do that. But yeah, it's probably true. I apologize. I have a curious dog walking around my chair. But um, uh, Road Atlanta, doing that road that'd course. Be cool. Yep, that'd be cool. It's also big enough as well, so I, that's perfect. Yep. All right. Uh, next question. Jay Kotanen. How do you budget for your car hobby? Lately, it seems to be a stretch just to maintain the daily drivers. Glad I can live vicariously through AOT project updates. How do you budget for your car hobby, Andrew? I don't. Okay. I'm very that's bad the best it. way. Yeah. Uh, we have... I don't buy super expensive stuff, so right. that helps. Yeah. Um, budgeting for the car hobby for me goes pretty far back. Um, I like to live. I like to try to live a life under my means so that I don't have to budget as much for things I enjoy. It's not saying that I don't have to budget because obviously I do. I'm not some super wealthy person. But, you know, when we bought a house, we could have bought more house. We went for less house, so we'd have more money for activities. Uh, and my activity, obviously, is cars. Um, as far as budgeting for it goes, there's not a he heavy budget. It's more maintain the car as needed. Sometimes you don't have the money to fix it right away. and It needs to get parked. And I often will find myself buying things when they're on special or cheap somewhere even if I'm not intending to use them right away. You know, I haven't bought a lot of brand new parts. I do a lot of used parts. This full suspension setup for the Corolla is actually kind of out of character for me. Normally I would, you know, source parts from other places or buy a used set of wheels or a used set of springs or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't have a, a proper answer because I don't really budget either. I just use the money wisely when I have it. You know, I'm not spending thousands of dollars on wide body kits and 10 grand to have somebody paint the car. And, you know, it's, I, I guess budget kind of has also dictated my car style. Like most of my cars have kind of a patina look to them because paint is expensive. So I'd rather maintain a nice looking period correct finish than have fresh shiny paint and, I like period correct wheels. So I like to buy, you know, $400 set of used wheels versus $1,000 a piece new ones. So it's, 
yeah, it's it's a it's tough. Sometimes you, sometimes you don't have it. You know, I, I can think of many times where a cool set of wheels come up for sale, or a whole car, or a really good running engine out of something, or a transmission that I should have to put aside, and I just don't have the money for it. And for every one cool thing I've bought, I probably missed out on ten. So the budget is whatever you have put aside for you know some kind of play money is what you use for your your hobby and i've been fortunate enough in my life to uh be employed most of the time and have gotten pretty far in my career so i'm at a point where i can do some stuff but again at the same time i'm not it's really not super wealthy car guys here like we are a budget friendly attitude we do a lot of diy i think that's one of the biggest the biggest things right there andrew and i'm sure you agree with me the biggest part of owning a vintage car is doing the work yourself if you're not a rich guy i think you'd probably yeah that's pretty much it yeah because i can do it mostly myself if i spend a thousand dollars if i spend a thousand dollars on parts i don't have to get pay somebody two thousand dollars to install it because i'm gonna do it myself you know, and that's the suspension. Like this, this whole suspension setup is going to cost me, you know, full disclosure price out there about two grand. But I'm not paying somebody to install it all. I'm doing it all in the yard. I'll have to pay somebody in the end to do an alignment. Um, actually, I don't have to. I could do a string alignment and probably get it done. But I am budgeting that extra hundred bucks in the end to pay somebody else to pay somebody else to align the car, and hopefully they'll be able to do it just fine. But I'm able to use that entire budget for the parts because I'm going to do the work myself. So that's, that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, I, I have a lot of cars, but also I have a lot of cars that don't work and I have a lot of cars that I'd love to have done more stuff to, but I can't because I have too many cars and that affects the budget too. Like I know what was me. It's, you know, a first world problem, right? But it's certainly, I would have more money to build crazier stuff if I didn't have so many cars. So budgeting is interesting. It's not i uh, I'm not a financial guy. That's for sure. But I'm glad that uh, you live vicariously through our AO2 project project updates because we try to justify sometimes doing all this stuff. Cause we talk about it on air, right? Yeah. I better do some more stuff. Yes, you should. I'm glad I did. All right. Next question from Auto Obsessive Garage. For the rest of your lives, you may only own front wheel drive or automatic cars. Which do you choose? Front wheel drive. Yeah, all day long. I love rear wheel drive, all wheel drive, front wheel drive. It's all fine as long as it has a manual. That's a no brainer question. I would trade. I've, I've had a bunch of manual front wheel drive cars. They're fine. Yep. Yep. Same. My, my Eclipse. My Volkswagens, I've had a bunch of Golfs, I've had uh, all kinds of stuff, front-wheel drive, manual, totally fine. It's actually kind of my preferred daily. All right, uh, last question on Instagram <clears throat> from Analog Smog. Kind of a long question. You guys are both into old Japanese cars, so I'm sure you know how complex the carburetors can be, especially from the late 70s on. Have you ever done any rebuild on one? And have any general tips or wisdom for those of us looking to take on that kind of project? Have you ever rebuilt the carburetor, Andrew? Nope. Put a Weber on it. Not always. 
Um, this is actually kind of a funny one because I do have another project car update that I'll sneak into this that I forgot about. Also if you don't need to pass editing. smog, like if you live anywhere but California, sure, throw a weaver on it. Even if you do need to pass smog, but you're not in California, throw a Weber on it. Yeah. Because they can usually be tuned pretty well to run and pass smog in most places. Um, I have rebuilt a carburetor. I don't want to call it successful because I don't know if the carburetor is the problem yet or not. <laughs> but not too long ago, I talked about the 74 Colt carburetor. And I'm still having issues making that car run. Speaking of budgeting, um, I will be back in Massachusetts again at some point in the next month or so. I recently ordered a brand new Weber carburetor, a brand new filter set, and a adapter plate to adapt these Weber carburetor for the 74 Colt. So I am currently going to do a Weber swap on that car and see if it eliminates the problem and it eliminates the issue as being the carburetor or not. I felt pretty good about buying it because even if it's not the issue, I have plenty of other vehicles that could use that Weber carburetor. So I'm not going to worry about it. Um, the one thing I did to talk about budget is you can buy an off the shelf kit, which is the carburetor, the adapter plate linkages and a bunch of other stuff for $600. Uh, and instead of doing that, I found all the part numbers and I pieced it together individually. And the whole cost was about $230. So it made a huge difference by piecing everything together. And uh, we'll see if it works. That's the next step for the 74 Colt. So yes, I have rebuilt a carburetor. I don't know if it worked out well or not. Um, I don't have any general tips other than just be in a big open space work on a cookie tray, which is what I did. So any little parts that fall out of the carburetor, whether they be little springs or there are, you know, ball valves or even the little jets, everything's tiny. And if you work on like a cookie tray, everything kind of stays in place. Um, the car did run with the carburetor after I rebuilt it, just not well. So maybe other than that, I've had carburetors rebuilt in the past as well, but there's no real tip there other than just find the right guy. They'll still do it. I don't even know anybody who does anymore. So I also know analog smog is in California, so he doesn't have the Weber option, unfortunately, because his cars have to be factory style, all vacuum lines intact, all everything intact um, and good to go. So actually I did do work on the carburetor on the Sapporo, but wasn't so much a rebuild. So, I don't know. I've been pretty, pretty lucky that my stuff has been fairly well maintained and hasn't needed much as far as carburetor work goes, but that's my advice. Just do it. Try it. The carburetor rebuild kits are cheap. Taking it apart is not difficult. Usually um, just make sure you find all the hidden bolts before you start splitting halves and cracking housings. Um, it's worth a shot. Most carburetor rebuild kits are like $30 in rock auto. And worst case scenario, if it's already junk, you can't make it more junk, right? So give it a go. I did. It was a little scary at first, but life goes on and it was fine. All right, moving on to the next set of questions on the Facebook page. 
starting with Joe Davis. This is an interesting question, Andrew, actually. Okay. What car went from totally awesome to total absolute shit in a single model year generation change? Hmm. There are many. Do you have do you have thoughts here? There are so many. So, so, so many. Yeah. Nineteen ninety nine to two thousand eclipse. Uh, you mean 2000 to 2001. I thought 2000 was the first third gen. It was. No, I, you could get a, I thought you get a 2000 anniversary edition. 1999 anniversary edition. Oh, okay. All right. I, I'm yes. pretty sure. Uh, that would be my first, my first answer. And it's obviously close to, close yep. to us. So yep. I the, the lack of any kind of um, performance model hurt. The right. style was not good. They were 2007 just 2007 WRX. Oh, yeah. Or STI to 2008. So GD to Corolla body. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere. GD to Corolla. The official, the official name of the car was Corolla. Uh, I mean, have you seen one lately? I they they kind of I think they must have like gotten destroyed or rusted out around here. I, I very rarely see them anymore. But or maybe they just blend so in because they look like that generation I, Corolla. I don't see them around here, but it doesn't seem like many Subarus sold here until the past ten years. Yeah, modern WRX, modern WRX, modern Outbacks. Those all seem yeah. to be pretty common here, but I don't think there was much Subaru life here before then. Occasionally, yeah. and it seems like anytime I see like a you know, blah by car or a GD body car, yeah. it's an STI. I don't see a lot of regular Impresses or regular WRXs. It's usually yeah. an enthusiast owned car. So I don't know that if was this wasn't. A... Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if this wasn't a presence here at that time. Obviously, I didn't live here at that time. Um, I know they did exist here at that time, but I just don't, I don't ever see them and they didn't rust out here. So no. I don't know I wouldn't, that I did just confirm downgrade. I did just confirm the eclipse is 1999 as I thought. So no, no, you're right. I, yeah, I'm thinking of the, my, uh, Montero went for one more year, went to 2000. Okay. Before it died oh. off. But the, um, yeah, that was such a huge downgrade to go from that a GD car, it's the new one. Yep. Because I think that only lasted maybe two years, two model years, and they went back to flared fenders. Yeah, because everybody was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, <laughs> these are lame. Yeah, I think I think yeah. you're right. I think they mostly just blend in, which is why you don't even you don't even see them. Um, I guess in the American market, the Gallant. You know, you're. Oh, our- wait, wait, wait! I saw one earlier. I saw one. Uh, a person at my work has one that's non-turbo. An Impreza? <laughs> one of the parking lot at lunchtime. Yeah. It's the wagon, that's, the five-door, no flares. Yeah, that's that's just a uh, a commuter vehicle. I think there are more of the wagon ones, the hatchback ones. They, were, they made them in WRXs, though. Yeah, they did. It just, just SDIs, though, weren't they? No, not in 2008. You get a WRX Corolla. Oh. I thought only the sedan was a WRX and the SDI was a hatch only. Nope. No. Okay. Well, I definitely don't know a lot about uh, a lot about those. So, 
Yeah. Um, real goofy and bad. I guess, like I said, American market, the Gallant went from the sixth gen all wheel drive turbo cars to just a 2.4 liter front driver. Yeah, it was the plan here just to call out Mitsubishi's. I mean, that's what I know. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> what other car was that bad? I mean, it depends on the on the enthusiast you ask. Like for years and years and years, the Mark Three Volkswagens got crap from everybody, and now they're kind of coming to their own. So I would say they're terrible. Oh, Mustang. Mustang 2? Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, Mustang became Mustang 2, and everybody <laughs> hated it. Now, I say that, I don't agree with it. They're different cars. They're very different cars, and people say the Mustang 2 did not deserve to be called a Mustang because it was a Pinto, which my argument to that is... It's not called a Mustang. It's called a Mustang 2. But my argument to that is the original Mustang was just a Falcon. Yeah. So it goes right along the same path of existence. And it came out during the worst era for V8 cars. So you can't blame mm-hmm. it for not having power. It's not it's not Mustang 2's fault. It only had 130 horsepower V8. Like, that's just how it worked. And in the, you know, looking back at the cars now, you know, probably through slightly rose-tinted glasses, they're not even terrible looking. They look like a normal car from that era. I don't understand the hatred as much. You know, they, they had to make do with big bumpers and smogged out V8s, but you can't blame the car for that. They did the best people they could do. would say, not you, but the changeover from the American Challenger to the Mitsubishi Supply Challenger. Uh, Andrew, that was an improvement. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, okay, let me defend that. <laughs> it was an improvement because the Mitsubishi Supply Challenger was a much better car as a car goes. It may not have had a Hemi V8 and been 400 horsepower, but it was a much better put together car than a mid 70s Challenger was. And I will take that to the grave for sure. So, um, yeah, I don't agree with that one. Uh, RX7, Ooh. RX8. Yeah, yeah. All right. Big one. Um, oh, uh, I mean, this is like a 1% one. Uh, redesigned 0506 GT40 to the new GT40. Yeah. Okay. They went right? from a They're retro car. Great. No, they went from a retro car to a modern supercar. Yeah. Um, I... I, uh, Maybe they're like an amazing car. I'm sure they are. No, but nobody, nobody knows 05, though because they don't drive them. <laughs> yeah, and the 0506 just looks so cool. Maybe my my brain is spoiled because I see one every day. Um, obviously not mine, but there's one in the showroom at work, and it's that new body style, and it's a pretty striking car to walk by and see. Everything. I think they're pretty cool. I honestly, yeah. but I I don't know. I guess. It's a you know, very different car like the... than the outgoing car was. Yeah. It... And the race car looks amazing. It does. Um, I think the biggest complaint people have is that it has that EcoBoost V6 that sounds like turd. Yeah. But it's. I think it's a good looking car. I don't think it's... Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one, Andrew. Controversially? It's very controversial. C7 to C8. Oh, it's not controversial. It's not controversial at all. The C8 is garbage. Yeah. Probably a good car. It's probably fun to drive. I'm sure it's fast. But it looks like a wannabe Ferrari. And it's only available yeah. with an automatic gearbox. So, to me, it's it's out. Uh, square headlight Wrangler to round headlight 1997 Wrangler. That's a big one. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Well, no, the 97 Wrangler, the interior became a minivan. It became all Chrysler. So the square headlight Wranglers were still that, you know, AMC original design that had parts, bin parts, and everything to make them work. And then it was a full Chrysler design in 1997, and the dashboard was made of the same terrible plastic as a neon or a minivan. And no neon hate, we like those, but didn't work on a Jeep. And they went from leaf spring rear to coil spring rear, and they kind of lost a little bit of the the magic of the Jeep, I think, when they became more civilized. And also, it's the beginning of the Jeep people. Yeah. So the the target market went from people who like Jeeps for Jeep things to people who like Jeeps because they could buy accessories. So I think that was a big change there. And a lot of guys don't like Jeeps post-1996. So me included. I don't want a, a modern Jeep. I like the square headlight and down. Which, when the square headlight Jeeps came out, also people hated those. So, yeah. Do we count like New Blazer? I guess we could. Did it replace, a, did it replace an outdoor no, Blazer? No, but it replaced the S10 Blazer, which was pretty lame by then, and the Trailblazer, and those were all pretty terrible. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, that that I one didn't go like instantly. That. that one was like square. <laughs> S10 Blazer was Not cool. Worse and worse. Round S10 Blazer was like, you get a two door, was kind of cool. And then it just became worse. And then it became the Trail Blazer, which was like, I don't know. I don't know why, but they're definitely like the crackhead car of choice. Um, and they're all tattered and falling apart. So those are already bad. The new Blazer. Um, There's a, a lot of new cars that have names they shouldn't have. You know, Eclipse Cross, Blazer. Uh, Mustang Mach-E, all those things are named weird by marketing people who aren't car enthusiasts. So, What about... I'm trying to think. I feel like, I feel like we've hit a lot. You know, yeah. Ferrari 308 to Ferrari Mondial. Like, one, excuse me, Mondial. That's a probably... One people hated too, so Mondial yep. didn't get love until now. So early Countach to Lamborghini Yalpa, like there's just like such weird things that happened back then. But I think we hit the important ones. We have a few more questions mm-hmm. to go through here. So good question, Joe. I appreciate that one. All right, Scott Laprade. I probably just pronounced his name. He's gonna be so mad at me. So in the Discord, please yell at me when you hear this episode. Scott says, if you had to pick one car, sub $30,000 value bracket, and drive it for the rest of your life, what would it be, and why is the answer, I'm not even going to say it, because you know what his answer is. For well, those who don't, I will say it. It is. Uh, it says, what is the sub $30,000 value bracket, and drive it the rest of your life? 
what would it be and why is the answer a 1991 Isuzu Stylus XS with handling by Lotus? I mean, if you're picking anything that's sub $30,000 to drive the rest of your life. I'm buying an Evo. I guess I already own it. Okay. Your Volkswagen? Like, yeah. All right. It's a good car. Right? Manual, that's turbo, wagon? I mean, the choice is manual, turbo, wagon, or 30 1991 Isuzu Stylus XS with handling by Lowe's packages. I There's not even 30 left. Well, you could buy all of, all the cars that were left. <laughs> Um, I do love his 91 Isuzu Stylus XS with handling by Lotus package, but it's certainly uh, an interesting car and it fits along our uh, auto off topic lifestyle of drive a weird car, right? Um, I have one car sub 30K for the rest of my life. It doesn't say it's my only car, so I would buy an Evo 2 or 3 and have it forever. So, Chase McIntosh, any thoughts on LaForza's? LaForza's? What do you know? What do you know of the LaForza, Andrew? I don't know anything about. I know the name. I don't. Know, I can't even picture what it is. Is that so? A LaForza. A LaForza. Nope. There's a LaFerrari. A LaForza is an Italian SUV built on Ford mechanicals. They are oh. available in a five-speed. They came with a five-liter. They're basically like an Eddie Bauer Explorer that was sold as a non-licensed copy of an Eddie Bauer Explorer. So it's kind of has a little bit of Grand Cherokee lines, a little bit of Ford Explorer lines, but the interior, I guess saying a upbranded Eddie Bauer Explorer is not doing it much credit. The interior is very like Maserati of the era, super plush leather, leather dashboards. Um, I 100% love these trucks. I love them because they're mechanically simple and they're ridiculous Italian looking vehicles. They have an offset hood scoop, which is an automatic love for me. They have that cool interior. And they're still dirt cheap. Eight, nine grand will buy a good one. Everybody will ask you if it's a Rambo Lambo. I don't know. I don't know. know. I don't know that anybody who knows Rambo Lambo would know. I guarantee you people would confuse it. Yeah, maybe. But no, I love LaForza's. I, uh, I would totally drive one. My biggest issue on SUVs is the same reason I don't own any Range Rovers. I always think about, I want a vehicle that if I'm out in the middle of the woods somewhere and it breaks down, we can fix it with our parts and tools we have. Yeah, that doesn't sound like this is it. This is not it, no. But they're super cool, and I love them. And it's a 5 liter and a 5 speed. How can you go wrong? I, uh, I would definitely drive one. And again, you can buy one for sub 10 grand, so they're quite interesting. So... LaForza is not out of line for a vehicle that I would someday own and you could all make fun of me for. So, Chase McIntosh, I'm with you. Let's buy some LaForzas. Eric Vogel, thoughts on rear window louvers? Good? Bad? Why did they go away? Will they ever come back? Are they out of place on a newer car? Why doesn't every car have them in Arizona? Because <laughs> uh, they're ugly. They have come back? They have come back. They make them for almost everything. I saw a Camry. They look weird day with them. anything modern. Yep. They don't even look good on the modern muscle cars. And I think part of the issue is they're too overstyled now as well. Like they're not just a straight window louver. It all depends on the car if I like them or not. In most cases, I don't like them. 
most cases. I love them on a third gen Camaro. I like them on a Starion. I I like them on a third gen Camaro. I do not like them I on a flat body Starion. I do not love them on a Starion. And the reason I don't love them on a Starion, and I'm sorry to say this, Ron, because he has them on his. Uh, the one thing I really don't like about them is the fact that it's a three-piece rear glass. So you have the hatch that opens and the two side glasses, and it's three separate pieces of louvers. Whereas sure. on the design of the third-gen Camaro, it's one big wraparound piece, and I like it better. I genuinely love them on like 70 Barracudas on that, that back glass, or like 69 Mustang Fastback, because they fit the design of the car perfectly, like the car was designed for them. Uh, the one thing that I am big into is like the inside the window louvers. The ones that are like like Venetian blind kind of styles. A lot of the Australian guys run them on their 80s and 70s station wagons. The lowrider guys all run them in the back glass. I think those are super cool. And on the right car, they work very well. Uh, they will eventually be in my Corolla wagon. So I do like those a lot. But every car in Arizona, Eric has tint. So they don't really need louvers, I guess. Except my old cars. They don't have tint. All right. Uh, David Pistek has an interesting question. Wondering off the car subject onto bicycles, but it involves paint. So maybe we have an answer for him. Is it difficult to strip down and paint a bicycle? I have a 96 Trek whose red is so burnt aluminum, my son calls it pink. Probably not. Oh, I mean, probably not. Citrus strip. Yeah, citrus strip. Make sure all decals come off. Citrus strip's my favorite because it's not toxic and it doesn't actually burn your skin off or burn your nostrils. And it works pretty well in everything I've used before. Yeah, I don't know how that's possible, but yeah, I've seen it work. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to drink it, but technically I guess supposedly you can. So I don't know how it works, but it's non-caustic. So nonetheless, I don't even think you'd have to strip the bike all the way down. I think that as long as you got the decals off and sanded it very smooth and put like a nice etching primer on it, you'd probably be fine. Um, but yeah, no, I I would love to see you do that and see how it comes out. And you know the way you use it from Harbor Freight. Yeah, buy a spray gun from Harbor Freight and, and give it a go. Um, I mean, people paint their whole entire cars even with a Wagner power painter and some thinned out house paint. So I'm sure a bicycle could be done pretty well with a nice, you know, inexpensive Harbor Freight paint gun and go to your local paint store and have them mix up something that uh, is a color you want to go. So bicycles and cars are very similar in a lot of ways. So it's all metal. All right. Last question for the day comes from James McIntosh. And Andrew, if you're not looking at these, I'm going to have to read this one to you. He linked as an article to a 1991 car and driver article, uh, six old school sports sedans. At the time, they were new, though. Okay. And he wants to know which one we need to choose. So I will tell you what these choices are. Choice number one is a Volvo 940 Turbo. This is a silver car with a turbo and an automatic. Choice number Mm -hmm. two is a Mercedes-Benz 190E with a 2.6 non-Cosworth. So also an automatic car. Next choice is an Alfa Romeo 164L, which is a really neat car. That's the good sounding V6 and uh, kind of a very angular style inside. The interior actually looks very French on those. 
they're based in the same chassis, I think, of the Saab 9000. Um, BMW 525i, so a 2.5 liter inline six with an automatic. The Audi 90 Quattro, which is the small Audi sedan that replaced the Audi 4000. It was the base mm. for like the Hans Stuck um, touring car. So that's yeah, a the 20 one you didn't guess a couple episodes back. Yes. So that is a 20 valve inline five uh, and became Quattro that was only available with a stick. Points to Audi for that one. Um, the Saab 9000 Turbo. I mean, I'm partial there. Uh, and the Acura Legend LS. So they're all 1991 models. They all have automatics except for the Audi. I guess we could choose our manual if we wanted to, so I forget that part of it. Um, if you had to use one of those cars, Andrew, what would you choose? Uh, ooh, I would go with the... Uh, I guess I'd probably go with the Audi. Okay. If I'm answering this question in 2023 as a vintage car, as a collector piece, I'd probably go with the Alpha. Yeah. Because it's very different. Um, the interior is neat. The exterior design is neat. It's got that really nice Alpha V6 from the time. Um, and it's just cool looking. If I were in 1991 buying one of these cars brand new, the all-wheel drive manual transmission 20 valve inline five Audi would also be my choice because that was the slightly more rounded one that has the black rub strip all the way around. They came with optional five spoke speed line, three piece speed lines. So cool. That's a cool car. What was the, um, what was the last year you get alphas here in the United States until probably 1991. (laughs) It wasn't long after 91. I can tell you that maybe 92, 93. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, and then you couldn't buy an Italian car here for. Well, you could always get the Ferraris and Lamborghinis and stuff, but yeah, I'm not not a, not a normal sure. everyday Italian car. Yeah, the Italian cars and French cars never really worked out here, so. And the new Alphas aren't doing very well either. So, no. <laughs> Which stinks because they're so cool looking, but unfortunately they're not. Uh, not the most reliable vehicles. Every once in a while, I'll see a Gulia. Yeah, they're they're very good looking cars. Like very good looking cars. So, I did share this one more place. Let's see uh, if there are any questions there before we move on to the next thing. Looks like there's not. So there we go. Cool. Well, that's it. That was fun. I'm glad uh, we did another question episode. It's been some time. It has. Yeah. I think uh, we have a guest coming up pretty soon who's been on before. Uh, he's got some new ventures to promote and talk about. and That'll be the next week or two. And uh, maybe some big motorcycle news next week. We shall see. Yeah. We shall see. So, Andrew, social media, what do you got? Well, you can follow us on Out Off Topic uh, Podcast on Facebook if you're still on there. Out Off Topic on Instagram. It's a good place to find us. Uh, I am racing on Instagram. Uh, I signed up for Threads. Excellent. Seems interesting. 
just the next multi-billion dollar corporation to take all our information? I mean, all of the social media apps do the same. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of giving it to all of them already. I'm just saying that's just the next one. Yeah, it's all the same, but it's new. So who knows? Uh, yeah. And where else can they find you? Well, uh, they can find me on Instagram, TSISS350. They can find us both at Scale Autocast. Been going back, running a lot more there lately. And uh, yeah, I guess we're not doing that Twitter thing anymore. That's pretty much dead, huh? So yeah, it's pretty bad. So yeah, I noticed I don't use it very often, and I've started getting a bunch of spam messages out of nowhere. I was like, what is happening right now? Or it's alerting me that new things are being posted that I have absolutely zero interest in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going on. So, and it got hacked like four times in a weekend, which is also annoying. Yep. So Twitter's over. It's over. I was there for a month and I killed it good. All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Keep your cars analog and name of the roses. <laughs>